Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading this morning verses 1 through 8. Uh, we are beginning today uh, uh, a new series. We just finished Mark uh, last Lord's Day evening, thanks to Brother Ben. Uh, now we're going to Colossians. And you might say, well, why Colossians? Because I think the book of Colossians, uh, we, we left Mark at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Colossians picks up the idea of how do you live? How do you live with the knowledge, with the surety of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What, how does the resurrection impact your and my life? What difference does it make that you and I believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. So that's where we're going to start. Don't know, I don't have it fully planned out how many weeks, months this will take us. Uh, it is a rather short book, though, compared to Mark. So Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossa. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father for, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Ephaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's bow in prayer. Father, as we have read your word, we pray now your blessing upon the teaching from that word. That, Lord, it would encourage us in this day and age in which we live to live in the light of the glorious truth of the resurrection. In Christ's victorious name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Well, three things uh, this morning as we consider the, the beginning here of, of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Uh, first of all, something about the city of Colossa. The church is in Colossa. And the fact that it is in Colossa, there is something that, that we need to draw out of that. We're not just told that. This is not a general epistle. This was written to a church in a particular location at a particular time with an application to the church of Jesus Christ of all time. Secondly, uh, a couple of notes about the authors of this book as we find them in the Word. For that, too, is part of the inspired Word of God. And he has given all Scripture for our benefit. And then thirdly, to talk and to look at what characterized the church itself. The church itself as it existed in Colossae. 
So first of all, three um, things about the city of Colossa. First of all, its location. Today, I, I would identify it to you as belonging or being included in the borders of the nation of Turkey. Uh, sometimes we refer to that area as Asia Minor. Uh, that's its reference. In the days of Paul, as he's writing this, uh, Colossa is part of a province that is called Asia. Now, that gets kind of complicated, right? But if you think about it from the Greek or from a Roman perspective, when you cross the Aegean Sea, you're now in Asia. So it became and took on that name because that's where you were moving to. You are indeed in another continent. Um, Turkey today is still not considered part of Europe. It is considered part of Asia. So that's where Colossus is located. Okay? In what is present-day Turkey, at that day in the province of Asia. But we can narrow it down a little bit more. It is about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Ephesus is on the coast. You go inland 100 miles and you come to the city of Colossa. It is located near two other towns that are in close proximity to it. One is Heropolis and the other, a biblical city that we learn about in the book of Revelation, is the city of Laodicea um, gives us somewhat of an idea of its location. Secondly, a little bit about its history. We know from historical sources that the city of Colossa uh, was already up and running about 420 BC. So 400 years before Jesus Christ walks upon the earth or approximately 450 years, we could say, uh, since uh, from the time that Paul is now writing, the city was still there. So it's got a long history, right? We, we really don't have any cities in North America that, that can lay claim to that. But Colossa could. It existed for at least 450 years. But its history, uh, also it's interesting, uh, the fact that uh, it's in a river valley and on the sides of, of the river uh, are, are gentle slopes uh, that are great pasture land for sheep. Interesting because we do Psalm 23 this evening. So it's it, just a little tie in there. But that became its major industry, sheep raising. But they raised the sheep primarily for the wool. So it's a textile town. And the river that I told you about, because of the volcanic activity that is around that area, had sort of, the, the water had a, had a chalkiness to it. And from what I've read, it, that chalkiness allows cloth to be dyed much deeper colors. So, sheep, textile, river, dye, okay? they're a clothing city, and that's what made its name. 
and, and it was the place on the map. It is Colossa, okay? It is large, it is gigantic, it was big. It was a place of notoriety. It was a place of importance. However, by the time Paul is writing this letter, the glory days are past. Uh, you know, like, like Grand Rapids, uh, before it was the beer capital, what was it called? Now, I would imagine some of you who are probably under 20 have no clue. Some of you who are under 30 might have no clue. Those who are a little bit older, maybe not. Even by the time I came around, and I'm 63 now, okay, this was beginning to wane. Grand Rapids was the furniture capital of the world. And you take a look at some of those old photos, and it's like, wow, we were quite the place on the map. But anybody who lived in Grand Rapids uh, during the 70s and 80s know it pretty much became pretty deserted, that downtown area, didn't it? That's sort of where Colossae is at the time that Paul writes it. It's still there. It still exists. The, the glory is still evident, but the population has moved on. Laodicea and Heropolis, uh, the suburbs, as it were, now have overtaken the city of Colossae. But there's a church there. There is a church there. And from what we gather, it's a pretty small church, probably just a house church. They don't even have buildings. So it, it's no big, mega church in any way, shape, or form. It's not even a little farms, right? It's small. But I think that, that that in and of itself is a testimony of the beauty of the grace and wonder and kindness and compassion of God. This is the kind of town and this is the kind of church that a lot of people would just dismiss. Ah, there's, it's, ah, it's a bygone city and they're so small they're insignificant. But look what God does. God, through the Holy Spirit, inspires Paul, the missionary of the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write them a letter. Imagine that. God includes in his word a letter to a small little church that meets in a house in a city that is past its prime. Yet these are the people of God. And God addresses them. God speaks to them. Ah, what, what a beautiful testimony of God's view of the church and of believers as compared to the world's understanding of this. So there, that, that's our church in Colossae. The author is mentioned to us along with his helper, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. We are pretty familiar with the uh, person of Paul, right? 
And this is the one who was the persecutor of the church, who has his conversion on the Damascus Road, uh, dramatically alters and changes his life so much that he even changes his name from Saul to Paul. Now uh, is the one who is out proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. But here he acknowledges that, that he has a position. He is an apostle. An apostle. One who is a direct spokesperson of Christ. These apostles were given the responsibility of laying the foundation now of the church of Jesus Christ. And what a foundation they laid, right? Right? They lay the foundation of Christ, on Christ, for Christ. And look, it's still here today. 2,000 some years later. These are the men that Christ used, that Christ credentialed, that Christ appointed to serve as the ones who would be his instruments of laying the foundation. Only 13, 14 men in Scripture are given this designation. Paul being one of them. Now add that to the mix. So not only do you have this small church in this bygone city being addressed in a book, look who addresses them. Look who talks to them. Look who writes the letter. One that Christ himself has commissioned to be one of but a handful of men who have ever existed in this world that are not replicated, that are not duplicated. One of but a small group of men who are given the responsibility of laying this foundation, one of those men now is the one that the Holy Spirit chooses to address the church that we have in the Word of God. The second person that is mentioned is Timothy, our brother. The relationship between Paul and Timothy is, is indeed a very close one. Sometimes Paul refers to him as brother, um, but he's referring to it in the plural here, including the, the church at Colossae. In Galatians, Paul uses uh, the terminology of that he's his spiritual son, is Timothy, and Paul is then the spiritual father. But it's interesting because what it highlights is that one of Paul's favorite ways of expressing the unity, the work, and the body of Christ is in the terms of a family. That the blood of Christ so unites believers from various races, tribes, languages, countries, nations, that even though their, their biological uh, similarities, cultural similarities, may be very close to next to nothing, in Christ and through the blood of Christ, they are family. Note that even Paul then, in verse 2, when he's addressing those who are in Colossae, calls them not only saints, but faithful brothers. That picture, once again, of God's family. 
That's what the church is to be. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. A family that is stronger, that is more united, that is drawn together by deeper bonds of love than even our biological families. Now, what a blessing then when our biological family is also part of our spiritual family, is it not? And you can look at the person sitting next to you or your children, if you're sitting there with your children, uh, and, and think, yeah, what a blessing. My children are not only my biological children, but they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. That indeed is a great, great blessing. So, the church at Colossa, the authors of the book. But what do we learn from the verses we read about this church? Well, Paul says that he has heard something about this church. Now, let me just interject this as well. From what we know, Paul never met any of these believers. Paul was never at the church of Colossae. Now, he might have passed through Colossae. He, he might have been on the road that went through it, but it appears that, that he never personally met these folks. The church seems to have been established by this man called Ephaphras, who is indeed a co-worker of Paul's, and he probably is the one who went to Colossae and, and began the church. So Paul isn't, oh yeah, I remember you because I was with you when this happened. No, he's heard. Okay, so We heard of what? What has he heard about this church at Colossae? Well, he's heard that they're faithful. That's what verse 4 tells us, right? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, part of Paul's reason for writing this book of Colossians is the fact that there are some encroaching dangers. There are some things that are taking place in the larger context of the church that Paul needs to address with this church at Colossae. Not because they are swayed, but he's addressing them as the faithful, as those who firmly believe. Hendrickson uses the term here that they have abiding trust. That's how he describes the faith uh, of these folks. Faith can be thought of as abiding trust. And what? In Christ Jesus. So they're not wavering. They're solidly. In Jesus Christ. They're singing, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. This is what Paul knows about the church at Colossae. They are faithful in that. Oh yes, there are weaknesses, to be sure, that Paul will address. As there is weaknesses in every one of us as believers. We are not perfect yet. We're all on the road to sanctification. So was the church at Colossae. But his summary 
is that they are faithful, firmly committed. But not only faithful, note, they are also loving. Since we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. This is a faithful congregation. It is a loving congregation. It's often, you know, that these two things get linked together. In fact, our third word is going to be hope. So faith, hope, and love abide, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This becomes sort of the emblem of Christianity. What, what distinguishes Christians? They're the people of faith. They're the people of love. They're the people of hope. Over and over again, this, this triad gets repeated. That, that to be faithful without being loving seems to be an impossibility, and to be loving with actually being faithful to Jesus Christ doesn't exist as well. They are loving for all the saints, meaning not only locally, but also all the saints. In other words, all the churches, all the believers that exist. They, they have demonstrated their faithfulness to Christ, but also their love. And I think one of the, there are two dangers for the church of Jesus Christ. Danger number one is we become very, so introverted that all we become concerned about is that which happens within the four walls of the church. Uh, only that which happens within little farms. That's all we care about. We don't care about anything else. We don't care about anything that's going on anywhere else. We don't care about any mission work. We don't, all we care about is just here. That's it. But boy, we love one another. Boy, we care for one another. Okay, We're bringing meals to one another. We're sending cards to one another. We're loving, loving, loving. That's a danger to become so into ourselves that we don't see out. But the other danger is to be so outwardly looking that we're no longer loving inwardly. That we're so, oh yeah, those Christians over there, what wonderful people, yeah, 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 yeah. Almost as it were saying, yeah, the people I go to church with on a daily basis, they're nothing. Or, oh yeah, we got to take care of this need and not really care about the needs of one's own congregation. There are two dangers. Right? What, what stands out about the church at Colossae? Oh, and your love for one another. No. Oh, and your love for all the, the other churches. No. Your love for all the saints. Whether it be those in Colossae or the saints outside of Colossae. There is a great balance of the love of this church at Colossae. Faithful, loving. But here comes the third, right? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What else are they? They have hope. Hope. Hope that is based on the gospel. Hope that is based on the truth. Because of the hope, verse 5, laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, 
the gospel. Why do they have hope? Because they know the gospel and they know the gospel is true. Knowing God's word is truth, knowing the gospel message that it is true, knowing that gives hope. That's what builds hope. That's what strengthens hope. That's what encourages hope. That's what gives, creates hope. Hope is created by truth. God's truth. Right? We're, we're, what's, what's one of the big struggles right now? Is we don't know what truth is in regards to this virus. So people are really dissatisfied. There ain't a lot of hope. There isn't a lot of hope going around right now. Why? Because the truth seems to be evasive. God's word, though, is truth. And what does God's word then produce? It produces hope. It's based upon the gospel. Which means that our hope is then based upon Christ. Because notice where Paul goes. Where did that come from? Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just like you learned it from Ephraim, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ. What is the center point of truth? The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. What is the center point of the gospel? What's the center point of the good news? Jesus Christ. Where does hope come from? Christ. Christ is the one who gives hope. But why is it on Christ? Why does hope and why is the gospel on Christ? What is there about Christ that brings and gives and creates hope? Keep your finger here at Colossians 1. Go with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He's caused us, what? To be born again to a living hope. Through, where did that hope come from? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where hope comes from. This congregation, which was faithful, this congregation at Colossae, which was loving, this congregation that had hope. Where'd that hope come from? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do you live? How do you live the resurrection? How does the, how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ impact you and I on a daily basis. It is the source of our hope. Hope, you see, is not wishful thinking. Hope is not, you know, I'm, I'm seven years old and my birthday's coming next week and I sure hope mom and dad get me a bike. That's wishful thinking. Or maybe you're a young lady dating a, a young man and you know, uh, your birthday is coming and you're, you're thinking, boy, I, I sure wish, I sure, I sure hope he, he gets me a diamond. 
okay, for, 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 for my birthday. Uh, that may be wishful thinking, right? Maybe you're thinking, boy, I sure wish our, our governor would, would do something. Uh, well, that might be wishful thinking right about now, right? Hope, Christian hope, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. He's not, man, I sure, I, I, I sure would like to, I sure hope uh, that, that this virus doesn't last long. It, that may be wishful thinking, right? Biblical hope is confident expectation. It will happen. It will take place. That's biblical hope. See, this church at Colossa is living with hope. And the hope comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is not a wish. It is a confident expect expectation that because Christ has been raised from the dead, because of the resurrection, because Christ rose up from the grave, he arose. Hallelujah. Because he arose, I have the confident expectation of my salvation. But hope is not just a confident expectation. It is also a patient waiting. It is realizing that we have to wait. And we're okay with waiting. Because that increases our hope, our confident expectation. The longer we wait, the more confident we become. Waiting does not decrease our expectation. Waiting increases our expectation confidently. We know, we know, we know. First Peter Chapter 3, or chapter 1, 3, right? What did I, how did, how did that end? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the way that they are living. They're living in the light, in the glory, in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How does that change their life? They're hopeful. They are filled with hope. A living hope. Is that where you are right now? Is that your life? Are, are you living with that kind of hope today? Or is your hope based upon all the stuff of this world? Are you uh, gloom and doom and despair today? Because you're 
Your eyes are upon the world. Your eyes are upon your bank account. Your eyes are upon your business. Now, I'm not saying there isn't reason to be concerned. Please don't mistake me. But I would hope our bank account, <laughs> use the word hope, I would pray that our bank accounts aren't where we have and get our hope. I would pray that our retirement portfolios is not where our hope is. I would pray that our business is not where our hope is. It would be a, my prayer that not only for yourselves, but for me as well, that our hope lies in Jesus Christ's resurrection. That because he has been raised from the dead, I patiently wait with an eager, expectant confidence of my salvation fully, completely in Jesus Christ. That's the way the church of Colossa was living. And you see what hope does? Hope makes you loving and faithful. That's why Paul puts these three together. Faith, hope, and love abide. Why? Because they, they work and they feed upon one another. Faith brings about love and hope. Love brings about faith and hope. Hope brings about love and faith. These things work together. That's why they're the three things that remain. And they're the three things that stand out here about this church of Colossae. A church that was small, a church that was little. A church in the midst of a city that was past its heyday, that was waning. And yet God comes to these people. God comes to them just like God comes to you and I. I hear, I hear of your faith. I hear of your love. I pray. God hears of our hope today. Wouldn't it be delightful? Wouldn't it be delightful to receive a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit that says, I know of you. I know of you, little farms. Yeah? Faithful congregation. Committed to Jesus Christ. Loving, loving, loving one another, loving all the saints throughout the world. And hope, boy, I see hope etched across all your faces. Hope that's given to you. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the way. This is the way, brothers and sisters. 
for us to live in the light of the resurrection. Faithful, loving, and full of expectant hope. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. May this word as well be a lamp to our feet and a light upon our path, even as we seek to serve Christ the Lord, the risen King. In his name we pray, and all God's people say, Amen. We'll now be singing uh, the hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns, as we reflect upon uh, the living Lord Jesus Christ. Crown Him with Many Crowns, and that will be followed then by the doxology. Please join us in singing today. <laughs>